Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful morning. And thank you, Lord, that in the midst of winter, there is still your light and your sun. The reminders that, um, that there will be days of warmth ahead. There will be days of growth ahead. And that we continue to be in your care. That you are a father who is good, who will provide good things to his children. Lord, I pray that we would come to you this morning, that we would come to you, that we would see you, that we would be satisfied in you. For we are weak and we are in need of you and your sustenance. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So this is our second week in, um, in Lent. And Lent is a season when you get in touch with things like weakness. You actually get in touch with the fact that you're, you are a limited creature and you have some needs that can sometimes get pretty intense. And uh, so if you've actually taken up a kind of a discipline of, of fasting, I know that many of you will take disciplines of fasting, say from like some form of entertainment or some dependency in life that maybe is, you know, got caught up in some unhealthy um, dependency levels. Um, and you might give those things up and then you become aware that you, wow, I have a craving right now. Like I'm really dying to, you know, have some entertainment. I'm really dying to have, if you're literally taking a fast for some food, like I'm actually hungry. And uh, Jesus wants to deal with all of the dimensions of what it means to be human. Every single dimension of what it means to be human and even the deepest and most intense needs. Like, like say you were starving. He wants to deal with that. Like, I mean, that, you can't get much more intense in terms of, from a human standpoint, an urgency to have something than you are when you're on the verge of um, dying of thirst, when you're on the verge of dying of hunger, right? And actually, Jesus wants to deal with us in the entirety of who we are. And that's the way it's been from the beginning, by the way. I mean, the Lord placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he did make provision for them to be okay, in every aspect of what it means to be good and okay. Like, he provided food for them that they could gather. He provided his presence that they could relate to God and realize that there's a lot more going on than just the fruit that they're grabbing off of the trees that he's made for them. So Jesus wants to deal with everything, and, and um, Lent is a time when we realize two things. We realize, on the one hand, the depth of our needs, but on the other hand, as he meets those needs, the um, incredible gift of being connected to God, being connected to the divine. Um, it's kind of like, I, I feel like in some ways he's taken us from, you know, we, we realize by remembering that we are creatures who are gonna die and we'll just go to dust if that's all that we are. If all that we are is about like the food that feeds our flesh, then that just goes to dust, but when we come into what God wants to give us, he kind of restores, not kind of, he actually <laughs> restores to us a divine dignity. So we go from the things that can spoil, like he talks about the food in the gospel. It can go bad. It doesn't last. It actually can spoil is probably a better way to put it. He goes from that to a splendid existence, a divine existence that's so splendid that it never fades, it never loses its luster. He goes from, you know, merely being consumers to satisfying us, not just our bellies, but the deepest needs of our heart for communion with God. 
So I want to get into this a little bit. This, um, and I guess in small ways um, this week, I've gotten in touch with my need a good bit. I felt like the Lord was definitely meeting my need last Sunday when I was sick with a fever and Father Steve in the morning and, and Becca in the evening covered uh, for a lot of the things that actually I was supposed to do. I was very aware of my weakness, but I was also delightfully aware of how God was meeting um, the needs that I had, but also then the needs that our church had together for um, somebody to lead, somebody to bring the word, somebody to bring that word that would feed us in the morning, somebody that would bring that word that would feed us in the evening. And God did it in the midst of my need, in the midst of like praise God for, for his provision and Steve and Becca. But I'm realizing he's using them, right? It's, it's, he's actually, they, they became such a gift in their persons of him to us and to me last week. Another way that this came across to me was um, all week long, um, I was still feeling kind of weak, and, and Jeannie's realizing my wife is so wise, and she knows me better than I do, and, and so it's really good to be partnered with somebody like that. And um, she says to me, um, you know, you need to do some things with some friends, like some things that aren't demanding, that aren't like just like you pouring out, but you just, you enjoy, you know, and it's a, it's a good thing that you can do. And um, so I don't know, you know how, how exactly it happened, but, but Bill, Bill Burgess, he texted me and said, hey, on Friday, this is kind of a long shot, but would you be willing to uh, join me and Caleb for a trip down to the Field Museum in Chicago? And I'm like, I don't know, should I do that? And I asked Jeannie, and she says, of course! <laughs> <laughs> so, so like... It was with Seth, right? So it's, our, it's like a father-son type thing. So I took Seth and we went down there and um, yes, we did that. And it was such a gift. And um, I didn't have to do anything. It was provided by the, the thoughtfulness of my friend Bill. And I really felt like, you know, as, as, as much as I felt weak and my bones were weary walking through the museum, it was a delight to me. It was a pleasing experience. It was sweet and the fellowship was sweet. And then in the evening, my, um, well, my, my friend Dean, who's sitting in the back there, I had, I'd reached out to him early in the week, and I didn't even realize how it was coming across. I said, hey, what do you think about doing a guy's night out on Friday night? Because I was listening to my wife. Men, take, take a cue from that. Listen to your wives. And, um, and so I, I texted him, and I said, um, what do you think about a guy's night out? And he says, um, whoa. <laughs> Eric's asking for a guy's night out. It must be serious. So, <laughs> so, so he, uh, he actually reaches out the bill, and so we had a guy's night out. And I was really looking for it. He said, where do you want to go to eat? I said, well, man, this is not a very Lenten thing to do, but I just had a desire for steak. <laughs> so I went and I had some steak, and I'm, I'm sitting there with, with, with Bill and Dean, and I'm, I'm enjoying the steak, right? It's a nice, big choice cut of prime rib and it's got all the wonderful juicy flavor to it and I'm thinking wow that's nice but what was way was way better was the fact that I was with my brothers you know and it was a it was a meal that somebody else prepared for me and you know through Dean's generosity he decided to foot the bill and I didn't have any choice about it and it was a complete gift you know I came to him in a sense with some of my need right and it was at an emotional level, but it also touched in on some, some sort of appetitive, appetite kinds of stuff, too. And delectability was involved, right? So it was a feast as well. And um, it was something I came to him with my need, and yet 
the, the meaning of it was so much more because these were brothers hanging out together, enjoying a good meal, and it was taken up in that fellowship. But I want to say, too, that it was more than that because we were talking about the things of the Lord. It was, it was a picture of how all feasting and all food and really all of life should be. It should be this incredible communion. And yet we get caught up in this really like low-level kind of reductionistic version of life where I just, want, I just want the steak. You know, I'll have a steak by myself, right? How communal is that? That's not, and that's just not as much joy in that, right? As delectable as the steak. It could be the best steak in the world, but it cannot possibly compare to a good steak shared in good fellowship with a brother or a sister or your family. And really, when we come on Sundays, I think in so many ways, that's what God is trying to show us. I actually really do care about every aspect of your need, and I want to address that need, and I want it to be taken up in the highest meaning, but I'm not going to leave behind every part of who you are, even the fact that you're hungry, the fact that you might be thirsty. But he does want to awaken us to the fact that there's more than just, um, you know, feeding our bellies as if fast food was going to be enough and a drive through was going to be enough. He really does want to make us aware that there's a whole lot more going on. So in, in our gospel this morning, I want to sort of see how it is that he's trying to help those who would follow him come into this complete divine dimensionality of what it means to be human and what it means to enjoy um, both the things of earth and the things of heaven that he would give us. So this, um, this particular passage in the gospel it actually comes after he's done that incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000 with nothing. I mean, he basically provides a feast. There's people there who are hungry, and he feeds 5,000 of them, takes just a little bit of the stuff of life, and in the process of giving thanks to the Father, he's relating it up to his own Father. In the process of giving thanks, he gives birth to, if you will, a, he founds a feast that is so plentiful, it feeds 5,000, and there's stuff left over, too. That's how amazing it is. And so then after that, he withdraws, and then um, his disciples take off in a boat, and they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, later on, he joins them by walking on water, and he gets into the boat, and then the next thing they know, zoom, they're right on their destination on the other side of the shore, okay? And um, the next morning, the, the folks had been with him the day before for the feeding um, were wondering where he was. And they're like, oh, he's not here, we can tell. So they went to the other side of Galilee and they find him. And their question is, <clears throat> I don't know why this is the question, but I, I think it tells something about where their heads are at. He says, uh, Rabbi, when, when did you come here? You know, um, because they knew somehow, it, it seems that they knew that the disciples had left without him and he had gone by himself alone to a lonely place to pray, as he often did. And uh, so they, they knew the disciples had gone, but that he had gone to pray. So he said, how, how did you get here, or when did you get here? You know, and they're assuming that he must have come at some other point with a, in a boat or something like that. And he realizes that there's something amiss in how it is and for what reason they're coming to him. I think this is important because um, we can get really sort of transfixed with God and even his ability to provide for us in ways that are reducing to who we are and actually reductive of who he is. 
And we miss the full dimension of who he is and therefore who we are supposed to be as well. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so um, I think what he's pointing out here is that, um, you, know, it was, I, you know, he's recognizing the fact that he did feed them and that they're coming because he fed them and they're actually coming because they're looking for another belly full. There's something about how they're approaching God. It's like, I just want food that will feed my belly. And that's very reductionistic. It's not that he doesn't care about it. And the thing about John is John is a very down-to-earth person. He's very relational, as we've been learning. But he's like his brother James, you know. He would say, you can't just say to somebody, for instance, if you actually love them, you know, be fed and be warm. And then just say the words without actually expressing some kind of love that has a tangible result. You know, that's not love. And so he's, he's actually okay with the fact that people might be hungry and he addresses those needs. It makes it really clear that he's going to take care of us in our need. But what he does say is, why are you really coming to me? Is that all you're coming for? Are you coming just for a belly full? What is it that you really want? And he says, it's not because you saw signs. That's an important word because there are several signs that John talks about. And I I think I've mentioned about how John, he's a very, he's a very, um, very relational, very interior person, but he also has this transcendent vision of who God is. So it's very interior and very superior, if you will, in the ways that he looks at God, in the ways that he actually sees Jesus. And he's constantly trying to get us to see Jesus in this same full dimension way. And what Jesus is saying here is that you, you're, not, you're not coming to me because there was a manifestation of the kingdom. I mean, this was a multiplication of loaves that was remarkable, not because you actually got fed, but because it was a miracle. It was a revelation of God in the midst of our humanity, yes, but of God in the midst of that. And that he actually is on the other side of the shore because he's God. And there is something miraculous that's being revealed here in Jesus. And he wants to know why we come to him. How much are you hoping for? Why are you seeking him? And I, I think he wants to say, yes, bring everything that you had to me. I want you to be in touch with the fact that you're needy, that you need food, that you need friendship. I want you to bring all of that to me. But I want you to realize even more. There's something very high and lofty and yet very humble as well that I'm offering to you. So he challenges them. Look, you're coming, you're seeking, that's good, but I don't want you to just settle for having another filled belly. And he's saying it this way. He says, don't work for the food that spoils or perishes, but for instead the food that endures. This is food that actually doesn't spoil. It endures for eternal life. That's how good the food is. It doesn't spoil, endures for eternal life. And this is something that the Son of Man will give you. And then they still want to know, okay, so basically if we're supposed to labor, he's saying don't work for perishable food, but for food that endures. So what are we supposed to do to be doing that work? If you want us to come to you and come to you for eternal food, what do we have to do for that? And um, this is the work of God. It's very simple, he says. It's that you believe in him. 
whom, who he sent. That you believe in him who he sent. So there's something about coming to Jesus that he says is good. There's something about seeking him that is good. But he wants you to realize that he is of God and he is of God the Father and he's been sent by God the Father and he wants you to come to him as one who's been sent by God the Father and that he's actually the Son of Man. He is that divine uh, Messiah King, saving one who is going to redeem you from all of the trouble that you have. Not just an empty belly, but all of the oppressive trouble that you have. And that's how he wants us to come to him. And he basically wants us to just trust him in that. A trust that he is actually that one. And that he's actually going to feed you in all these ways that we're talking about. It's, it's very simple it doesn't require a lot of effort. And you don't need to scramble. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be desperate necessarily. It's very simple. You just come and then you entrust yourself to him. I think sometimes we overly complicate belief. We think we've got to get our minds into a particular um, frame of mind, like we've got to conjure certain kinds of thoughts, and if any doubt comes up, then we're failing to believe in him. And I don't think that that's really how Jesus is addressing belief here. He's saying, come to me and deal with me, engage with me. Really engage with me in the truth of who I am. I'm showing you more and more about who I am. And so that means I'm, I'm going to open your eyes. Like he's doing this for these folks who are, who are coming. He's starting to open their eyes. And the question is just, will you receive him as he's showing you right now? Will you? It's more than food, and I'm actually speaking to it right now. Will you receive him as more than just food? Later on, when we receive the bread and the wine, will we actually receive the body and blood of Jesus? Oh, that's, how do we do that? We think about it scientifically. I had to wrestle with this. It's not bad to wrestle with that stuff, but he also wants you to receive and take in, and he wants you to eat. I'm going to talk about eating in just a minute, but um, it's okay to wrestle, but engage with him. Really be with him. Come to him and trust yourself to him. Look to him as the founder of your feast. Um, you're not the founder of the feast. It's not because you cleverly figured out where he was at and you found that he was on the other side of the sea through your own ingenuity. It's that he is God, and he cares about you, and you just need to come to him. He also says later on, he says, look. So in, in many respects, what he's trying to get at is just be in my presence, okay? Start by being in my presence. You, you might not have your eyes completely open, but it's good that you're here, so be in my presence and look and see. And then in the midst of that experience, I'm going to be opening your eyes so that you realize that you're not just enjoying bread and wine, you're actually tasting and seeing that God himself is good. So the, um, <clears throat> what's the nature? I want to just speak a little bit about um, this idea that we come to him and we have faith in him and we receive from him. So there's... Um, there's a certain amount of effort that I'm speaking to, right? I, I always like to say it's a gentle effort of the will. It actually does involve us being engaged with him. But what he makes really clear is that God the Father really is the founder of the feast, right? Because everything that he did, for instance, when he fed the 5,000 was in light of thanking the Father. And everything that he does is what he's seeing the Father doing. And everything that he says is what he's hearing the Father saying. 
And he's also saying that I'm sent by the Father, and actually you coming to me is because the Father's drawing you. The Father, in other words, is the founder of the feast in every way. Right? He's providing all the food, and he's also providing the fellowship and the fact that he's the one who's drawn you to. Every one of you are sitting here this morning. The Father has drawn you here. Right? He's engaging you, and he's asking you to come forward, for instance, when you receive communion. But the thing that's really wonderful about this is you can, you can relax a little bit in the gentle effort of the world, will. You don't have to like fight your way to get to the table. You have to fight your way to realize that God is here and he loves you. There's, because the Father has done it. He's the one who's drawing you. Every little impulse for you to draw near to God, let it draw you and just cooperate with it. So the believing part and the coming part and looking part is, is very, it's very simple and we can rest in the deep assurance that the Father has founded this feast. He's brought the head of the feast, which is Jesus, and he's brought us to the feast by drawing us because he loves us. Well, what is the nature of the feast? What is it like to come to this feast, this divine feast that I've been talking about? That's a lot more than just, um, you know, bread and wine in an earthly sense. John has been trying to help us come to grips with this throughout the gospel. He's been talking about this life that's born from above. When he's talking to Nicodemus at night, He's, he's healed somebody of, of um, blindness, and he's starting to show that there's this reality that's way beyond just mere earthly stuff, right? Because all of that, by the way, spoils, doesn't it? All of that does end in death. So there's, he's trying to show us there's a whole lot more going on here, and he wants us to labor for this food that endures. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't ever spoil. And by the way, it's never stolen either. Um, one of the things that he, he says is that, um, that, that none of us are gonna be cast out. We're not going to lose. We're not gonna be lost to him because the Father and the Son have made sure that Jesus loses nothing. I think one of the things, I, you know, this morning, it was really disturbing. Uh, we came into the um, to set up this morning and we discovered that almost every single one of our wireless mics was, was gone. And so we've, we've had $7,000 worth of equipment that's disappeared. And um, I think you guys probably, probably most of you have experienced, what is it like when somebody steals something from you? It's a really horrible, vulnerable feeling. It's a, it makes you feel like exposed, it makes you feel weak, and then especially when it's, for me, I don't know why, I mean, for me, it's like, if you'd stolen something from my house, that's deeply upsetting, and it, 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 you, you feel that violation. But this was the house of God, too, you know? That's really upsetting to me. And I'm feeling in the midst of that, like, oh, Lord, we are so vulnerable. There I am back again at that vulnerability. I feel weak, actually. Like, you know, we, praise God you provided for us last year, and that, that was a miracle story about our financial situation, how you provided for us. You fed 5,000 last year, but now I'm really hungry again because somebody stole something from us, you know? And I'm aware, again, of that weakness and that vulnerability. I'm feeling the fragility, even, in this world where we have trouble. And, and, and it's not just a world where things aren't enough. It's actually full of evil, too. There's malevolence in the world. I mean, he describes the enemy as one who, he's a thief that steals and lies when they steal truth from us. It steals part of our life. And um, 
And I'm, I'm aware of that this morning. And, and yet what Jesus is saying is that you can trust me. This is actually food that endures. And in my Father's hand, there's plentiful giving and gifts. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And, and he says, you know, look, he compares it basically to the, the manna that he provided from heaven to the Israelites when they're in the desert. And they're thinking, way back in Egypt, we had some really good food. We had flesh pots. That's a weird expression. They had steak in, in bowls, which is good. It's juicy stuff. But then they're in the desert, and they're like, we, you know, and they're, they're complaining, and they're grumbling, and they're, they're hungry, and they want their belly full. And they're again, and he's saying, look, I'm going to provide you, and he did every single day. He provided them manna from heaven. Every single day. And here's the really interesting thing that I, that I noticed this time when I was looking at the passage. On the sixth day, he provided them enough manna for two days, and it lasted. In the Sabbath, they didn't have to go out and gather again. They didn't have to scramble and figure out how are we going to make food today. The Lord provided for two days. And that's really interesting because the manna would spoil every day, except for miraculously somehow on Sabbath. It was somehow kept. I guess you keep it in a jar, maybe it lasts longer. But you weren't meant to eat it on any, you know, every day you gathered up just enough for that day, except for the Sabbath. It endures. It endures. And what Jesus is saying is that he says it in a different way in, in the, um, the Beatitudes. I, I want to feed you in a way that you're never going to hunger again. It, you, bring to me your hunger and your thirst. Your, your hunger and thirst for being set right with God and having the divine life again. That actually lasts forever. You'll never go hungry. You will be satisfied. You'll never go thirsty. You will be refreshed. And that's, that's what he's saying here is that I'm going to feed you and serve you a drink in such a way that you're never going to go hungry. Nobody's going to be able to take you out of that place of plentifulness and provision as you need it. I think that it's also significant that he says you're, uh, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but, br- but raise it up on the last day. And that's the will of the Father. It's a good will. The ultimate expression of our weakness is our mortality. And, and that we do die. And, um, you know, the Lord's ability to provide, it's kind of like Abraham in the reading this morning. He, his body's so weak. I mean, he's like 100 years old. And God is going to give him a son. And he thinks he's got to scramble for it. He thinks he's got to make it happen. He thinks he's got to, in his own genuity, figure it out which is all wrong because then he has Ishmael, right? And that creates a whole set of problems that we're still, de- still dealing with in many respects. But then the truth is that through an unbelievable miracle, Sarah, who is also around the same age, has Isaac. And what he's speaking to there is the kind of faith that we can have that is not just got the blinders on this way, you know, vertically speaking, it doesn't have the blinders on this way. It actually looks up. And it's a faith that looks up to Jesus. And it, in the sight of Jesus, realizes that there is a God who has a solution from on high. No matter how we could figure it out, he has that solution. And he has that provision. And the promise that he has made to you about a life that is, is not just a belly full, but a feast of love that is stronger than death, 
That is real, and you begin to enjoy that feast when you behold him, when you come into his presence, and you just entrust yourself to him for that goodness. It doesn't spoil, and it's, it's like that elven lembus bread in Tolkien's trilogy. It sustains you, it endures, it never goes bad, and it keeps you going through the entire journey of your life. He provides. Um, I thought about this feast, and <clears throat> we all have little experiences of it, you know? I had a little bit of it with Dean and Bill this week, and um, my mom, she passed away a few years ago, and there's a special way in every, every, every Christmas Eve that I experienced some of this reality. One of my favorite meals that mom would make for me was her incredible spaghetti with her incredible spaghetti sauce, and um, it was really gourmet. I mean, it was just so good. It was so robust. I mean, talk about a bellyful. I mean, I would eat mounds and mounds of this. And, uh, and whenever I, you know, mom wanted to make a special meal for me, she knew she didn't even have to ask. That's what I wanted. And so it was very much, it was a wonderful, delightful, filling meal. But what was so meaningful so often was that it was my mom's. And she was making it for me. It was expression of her love, an expression of my connection with my mom, and family gathered around the table together. It was just so right. She, she'd done it for me, she'd prepared it for me, and, and Leaf, and, and Dad, and any of our friends who were over, because she loved us. And that's what the Father does for us. And you know, my mom's gone, but every Christmas Eve, we still make that spaghetti sauce. And there's a very real sense in which I, in that moment, experience the communion of the saints, which is not broken. This is a meal that doesn't go bad. It's a meal we continue to enjoy in um, ways that we don't fully understand if we think of it just this way. But when we open our eyes, the eyes of faith, we begin to realize that this is a meal that we can enjoy now and we will enjoy forever in that wedding feast to come, which John gets so well. He's so relational. And that's why he sees that wedding feast of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. And we had a, a dear friend whose son was killed in a car accident. He was 17 years old. His name was Justin. And he had just come back to Jesus. And I remember seeing him out in the church where I was serving as the associate. It's actually our cathedral church now, Church of the Resurrection. On the day that he had rededicated his life to Jesus, and he's up there like this. He's out there. I knew what had just happened because I'd been part of the ministry that had been really praying for him. He'd been living a kind of a party lifestyle, doing a lot of stuff that he knew in his own conscience and integrity. Wasn't really who he was and he was living down, right? But then he's like this and I could see him wide open to Jesus and tears streaming down his face and he's full of life and light is shining through him and I'm up there behind the table and I'm being blessed by looking at him. And he's gonna, he comes and he receives the communion and the tears are still streaming down his face because he's enjoying that divine meal that God has prepared for him. He didn't have to make it happen. He just needed to come and receive. Within 10 days after that, he died in a car accident. Just like, Lord, he just came back to you. How could this be? And um, the, I went to the funeral I helped to lead the funeral. There's a black preacher, by the way. He had an amazing sermon for all of his friends who were there, some of whom were in the same scene that he had been in. And 17 people came to Jesus that morning, or that afternoon, rather. 17 of his friends came to Jesus. And this pastor and I were together along with um, 
Stuart, who's now our bishop, and we, we called people to come to the feast. And they came and they met Jesus that day. And one of the things that the black pastor said, if you want to see Justin again, I know you loved him, but if you want to see him again, you need to come to Jesus now and get the ticket to the meal. There's a train leaving today to go to that great feast, and you need to get the ticket today to come to the meal. And so they're like, I want that. And they come, and they, they, uh, they, they meet Jesus, who is the food himself. His presence actually fed them in a way, and they met him in that moment. And so something came alive in these 17 kids I don't know how it all panned out later on, but there was a moment there was a divine touchdown with earth or an earth jump up through the the impulse of the spirit moving within these kids and us. And boy, there was a divine meeting. That very next Sunday, I'm celebrating again. And I had such an incredible sense that Justin was there in the heavenlies enjoying that same meal with us in the great gathering of us here this morning, but those angels, archangels, all the saints have gone before and it included Justin. And I saw him with the eyes of faith. Man, it's a wonderful thing we're called to. It's a meal that doesn't spoil. And he's beckoning each and every one of us to come and receive, just to be in his presence and to, to feed on him. So let us come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.